We're going to be talking, as Dave said, about uh, a very familiar passage of Scripture, the Ten Commandments. And when I say the word law, or when you hear the words Ten Commandments, what do you think about? Like, honestly, like to yourself, if, if, if I kind of, that, that idea of law, the idea of command, the law of God, what goes through your head? Because de- de- depending on what is going through your head is, is really going to inform the, the place you're going to access what we're talking about this morning. Kind of the, the, the starting point uh, where you're going to get into what our scripture passage and, and our study today takes us. Because when it, when it comes to religion, most of society today would say that this actually is the very thing that's wrong with it, right? Like, the idea of law is the very thing that's wrong with religion, is what most society would say. They're like, well, we'll keep, like, the love your neighbor stuff. Like, we'll keep the ethic of Jesus. Like, all this stuff are great principles. But if you're telling me that, that Scripture gives me laws and commandments, that's the very thing that's wrong with religion, is what most of society would say. And then there's even kind of another layer to this that you might engage with personally, which is uh, the fact that every single one of you, if you grew up within a family which is everybody to some degree, in some form or fashion, then you have experienced law, right? We call it the Ten Commandments of your family, right? The the Ten Commandments of your family of origin. So every single one of you has lived and grown up under a law and a commandment. And depending on what that family was like, what what your parenting, what your parents' parenting style was like, uh, the experiences you've had with authority growing up in school, We've all experienced and we all have baggage when it comes to the topic uh, of, of law and commandment. And so at best, right, best case scenario would be that for many of us, we have this picture of God and he's up on a throne and he's holding a big long list and he's kind of got his finger pointed at you, right? That's the kind of best case scenario. Worst case scenario is law has been a source of abuse for you, whether in the church Law has been something that has put on you and been pressed into you or been, you've been hit over the head with it or in your family. So at best, it kind of gives you an improper picture of the Lord and at worst, it can really be a place of a lot of hurt. And what I think I'm here to say and what I think the Ten Commandments, if we can open our eyes to what the Lord has for us this morning, is it's to say that both of those things, kind of both of those ways of, of approaching law, all of the ways that we typically approach law, um, that there's a better way. There's a different way. So the idea of the law, the idea of the law in Scripture, if we were to take kind of capital L law, I want you to picture that as, as kind of like an entire landscape painting, right? Like the biggest kind of mural that you can imagine, that would be like how big this idea of law is in Scripture. So what I want to do this morning, and what I think the Ten Commandments do, is they paint a base coat, So kind of forget the entire landscape and all of its pieces. What's the base coat at the bottom of this painting? What's the color that we need to paint beneath all the other pieces in order to get this right? And I think that's what the Ten Commandments actually do for us. So I'm going to give us a base coat this morning. That's kind of the the what do the Ten Commandments do for us. And so the base coat for for our discussion this morning is that the law reveals the heart of God. And it leads us into it. Okay, that, that's kind of the simplest way that I can, can try to cut through all the bad experiences that we've had with law to say that the law is what reveals the heart of God and it's what leads us into God's heart. So that's the base code. And then there's going to be 
three things that I want to look at for how it does that. How does it reveal us God's heart and how does it lead us into God's heart? Just like Dave read from Psalm 19. How can we get to the place of saying with David, the law is a delight and the law is a joy? Well, three things to get to that fact uh, is that number one, it reminds us of our nature. The law, number two, reveals our need. And number three, it guides us to the one who rescues and redeems. So we're going to hit all of those things. Donna, can you come forward? Thank you for being patient <laughs> and read uh, our passage. I got it. You can still come forward if you'd like. We still have time. There's not too late. Y'all stand, please, for the reading of God's word. Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold on anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, not any foreigners residing in your town. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to, uh, to your neighbor. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Donna. Um, Y'all have a seat and pray with me. Lord, um, as, we, uh, as we come to you, as we uh, willingly come and sit under your word, and in this case, your law, as we, we come and listen and, and sit underneath the commands that you've given us as your people, um, I pray that uh, your heart would be the thing that's revealed, um, that, that the, the relationship that's behind the law, that both of those things, your love for us, your relationship with us, your desire to be with us, and the things that you've offered to us and said, come, uh, my children, walk in this way and know my love. Uh, I pray that we'd be able to hold those things um, as we should. Um, thank you that you're with us, that your Holy Spirit is here revealing, and it's in your name I pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, Jackson Pollock, y'all familiar with Jackson Pollock, the famous painter? Um, he was the guy who would hang paint buckets in, a, in like a white room, and then he'd walk around or he'd, he'd invite people to come around with baseball bats to smash the paint buckets and splatter paint all over the place. Okay, so he's the guy that, I don't know what kind of art, uh, you know, some of the artists in here could maybe tell me the, the style of art that that is, but he pioneered this idea of just like paint splatter. Um, that is oftentimes kind of 
how it can feel like we approach these sections of scripture. Like, how, how am I supposed to just, and the Ten Commandments, guys, that's, this, is, this is kind of the easy stuff, right? Like, I can, these kind of make sense to me. What we forget is that there's six, about 600 or 602, depending on how you count them, other commands that follow in the Old Testament, even in just these first five books of the Bible. From Genesis to Deuteronomy, there are 611 or 613 commandments, and these are 10 of them. So all of that together and the way that we approach the idea of law can really feel a lot like a Jackson Pollock painting. And so again, what we're trying to do this morning and what I think the Ten Commandments do for us, especially taken with chapter 19, which is what Dave preached on last week, is they give us a base coat. Okay, they kind of clear the, the, the air, they you know, clean up all the paint splatter and say, well, what, what is it that we're dealing with here? And we see in the very first verse, and it's so easy, and it, I think it says a lot to, to the way and, and maybe why we approach law in the way we do, but we skip so quickly the very first verse of chapter 20. Y'all look back at me with, at verse one in chapter 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I guess it's verse two, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Why do we take that and functionally for our lives, we put that at the end of the Ten Commandments? And we add the word if. We say, if you shall not lie, not steal, not covet, right? Not take my name in vain, then I will be your God. Why is it that that's typically the way that we approach this idea of law is these are the things that I gotta do so that God can be my God, so that he can love me. And we, we miss the fact that the order is completely reversed. That when God is, is here with Israel and he's revealing himself to them, he starts with a statement. He starts with the declaration of his heart toward them. Not what he's expecting of them, but what his heart is toward them. And it's verse one and two. I am the Lord your God. And not only am I the Lord your God, meaning I, I'm in relationship with you, I am yours and you are mine, but also look what I've done for you. <laughs> I've brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He's saying that what, 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 what is not going on here, what, is, what I'm not giving you is just a checklist. I'm not giving you the employee handbook for how to live. If, if, if that was the intent of what God was doing in the Ten Commandments, and if that was the intent of why God gives us the law, just to tell us how to live so that he can be happy with us, then he would never have started the way he did by saying, I am your Lord. And if you think about where this passage and where the entire a section of scripture that, it, that has to do with the law, where that comes in the biblical narrative is after everything we've just studied. The book of Genesis is story after amazing story of the way that God has preserved his people, even in the middle of their sin. Some of the most atrocious and awful sinful acts in all of scripture happen in the book of Genesis with people who the Lord loves and people who the Lord is committed to. And so we get all these stories of, of how the Lord is committed to people even when they sin. And then we get to the book of Exodus and we see that the Israelites who are you know, about as broken as any of us, they get saved out of Egypt. The Lord takes this, I mean, it's, it's miracle piled upon miracle. Red seas being crossed, waters being parted, enemies being drowned. The Lord speaking to his people through fire, through cloud. And then we get to this place in scripture and the Lord says, okay, I've shown you that I'm your provider. I'm, I'm, I've showed you that I'm your rescuer. Now let me reveal my heart to you. Let me reveal to you what is pleasing to me. Let me reveal to you how I am toward you. 
And let me invite you to be like that toward me and, or, and toward others. If we're going to do this relationship thing, it's kind of like God saying, if we're going to do this relationship thing, then let me show you my heart. Let me lead you into the way that I want you to be. So it's, it's actually the Ten Commandments and, and all of the laws actually to take the people of God, to take us into the next level of relationship with him. It's this journey of maturity that we've been talking about for the last couple of years at Midtown. It's, it's a journey of let me mature you in an understanding of my love for you. Let me mature you in an understanding of how you are to love me and love others. And it's all underneath this, this umbrella of I am your God. I have been, I am, and I will be your God. So the law is a guidebook into the heart of God. It reveals to us what he loves. It reveals to us what he's like. It reveals to us what he's about in this world and inside us. And it provides us, so it doesn't just show us what he's like, but it gives us a way to now live into his heart. So it's a guidebook to his heart and it shows us how to get into it. Not to get into it in the sense of, well, this is what you got to do so that I love you, but let me show you how to walk into an understanding and an experience of my love for you. And so why does that matter? Why, why, are we, why are we starting at this place? Why am I going the, over this and over this and over this? And I think it's because this whole idea, even as you might nod, is very unnatural to a human heart. It is, it is so remarkably unnatural for us to believe and, and operate in any of our relationships out of a sense of, I've already got your love. I don't have to do anything to earn it. I don't have to prove myself for anything. I don't have to work my way into anything. I've already got it. That's so counterintuitive to a human heart. So let me ask you some questions. And I'm going to ask you to kind of go with me here and answer this very truthfully for yourself. Who is the Lord to you? If you were to describe your relationship to God, what would it be like? What are you and he like together? What's it like when you hang out? What do you laugh about? What do you cry about? What makes you angry with each other? Would you describe your relationship with the Lord as close? Or would some of the ways I even talked about that sound really strange? Do you let yourself get angry with God? Do you let yourself, as David said in one of the Psalms, that my, my tears have become my bed? And as I lay in my bed with my tears, I awake and I know that the Lord is still with me. Do you bring him into the tears? Do you bring him into that tear-soaked bed? Do you believe that God desires to be with you? That he desires to be with you, that he is interested and captivated by you? Do you believe that he watches you and he's studied you and he knows every single angle of you? He knows every detail that he's created. Or do you believe that he's disappointed? He's disappointed in what you do. Uh, he's disappointed in who you've become. I, th I think performance and earning and striving is the air we breathe. 
that, that constantly self-assessing and judging ourselves and deciding, am I worthy of just who I am, this man or this woman in this world, this parent, this friend? That, that earning and striving and self-assessment and goal-oriented and am I good enough, this is just like the blood that flows through our veins. And God knows that this is true, and so he knows that there is something that's deeply broken in us and something that actually makes it impossible for us to experience the kind of relationship with him that I was just describing. There's something in me that's so broken that it's going gonna, it's gonna to sabotage this very close relationship that he's trying to have with me, and it's that I'm too afraid to trust him. I actually live exactly like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden right after they sinned. I feel naked, I feel ashamed, and I hide from God. That, that I, I actually can live as if I'm scared of God, and I do to him what I do to all the other things that I'm scared of. I push it away from me. I distance myself from him because I actually believe, you know, you're actually not oriented toward me with love. You're not, you don't see me. You don't, you don't pull and, and put your affections on me. And so I push him away. I put him far from me. I distance him from my life. And I then control the fear that I now live with through my actions, through my performance. That I then spend my entire life to try to be good enough, to try to be worthy, to try to follow this very law that he's saying, this is, to me, this is me showing you how much I love you. And I say, well, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do it perfectly and I'm going to make sure that I believe like I'm good enough. And so <laughs> the Bible gives us a very different way. The Bible, and when I say the Bible, I mean the rest of the Old Testament, places in Deuteronomy. Jesus, when he's talking to the rich young ruler in Luke 10, Paul, they say all the same thing. They say, law is about love. Law is about the heart of God. Law is about the Lord revealing to you what he's like, how he's oriented toward you, what he thinks about you, and then calling you to respond in the same way. Jesus in Luke 10, uh, when the rich young ruler comes to him and says, you know, Lord, I've kept all these commandments. Jesus says, well, fine. What do you think these commandments are that I've kept or that you've kept? And he says, well, I'm supposed to love God and I'm supposed to love my neighbor. And Jesus says, that's exactly right. That is the heart of the law. That loving God and loving your neighbor is the fulfillment of all the law. So if we look back at our Ten Commandments, if we actually begin to look through these Ten Commandments, we'll see that it's true. That Commandments 1 through 4 are about how you love the Lord. And then Commandments 5 through 10 cover how you love your neighbor. So if, if this law is in fact a guidebook into the heart of God, if, if the law shows you the heart of God and then invites you to come and understand his heart, I want to walk us through how it does that. I want to walk us through how, through the law, we can get out of this place of feeling like the Lord is distant from me because I'm deep down actually afraid of him and how he can actually become close. And then how, like David, I can be someone who looks at the Lord and looks at his law and say, it's my joy and it's my delight. So three things that I want to look at um, pretty quickly. The first is that the law reminds us of our nature. It actually takes us back to creation, 
It actually says, this is your created nature. This is how I created you, God says. This is how I made you to live. I've been uh, watching a little bit the series. Uh, it's, I think it's an um, Amazon Prime series called Hannah. Have you all seen Hannah? Anybody? Okay, it's kind of one of these. Uh, it, it's, uh, there's probably a lot of other examples I could give for this. It's like someone who in their past has had some experience. In, in this case, this girl... I'm not at the end of it yet, so I don't know how it happened, but she was basically trained or even genetically modified to be somebody, but she forgot about it. It's sort of like the Jason Bourne, Bourne Identity kind of thing, where he had this past life and he, he had become someone in the past, and so then his future is trying to live back into what that is, trying to rediscover what was that thing I had that I can live out of. And that's the story of Hannah. It's the story of a lot of these uh, hit shows. The law is a little bit like that in that it's telling you, the Lord is looking at you and saying, I created you for something. I, I, I formed you and I put in you all these characteristics and all these traits. And guess where they came from? They came from me because I created you in my image. So the law shows us the traits, the, the ways that are part of our image barrenness of God, that we actually share the same kinds of traits, the same kinds of love that the Lord himself has. The Ten, uh, the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law, they, they show us how the heart of God is actually imprinted into our own hearts. Because our hearts, just like the rest of us, are made in his image. And so when we look at the commandments, we can actually see that every single one of these commandments, they're not just negatives. There's an implied positive to every single one of these. And of course, the first one is first for a reason. It's the most important. So commandment number one says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So what is it about that commandment, if, if, the, if the law reveals our true nature, what is it about that commandment in particular that's revealing, uh, revealing to us about, about something we were created to be? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. This is saying that God was our first love. This says that, that the Lord was your first love, and it calls you back to him being your first love again. He's saying, somewhere along the way, you lost the fact that I was your first love, that I created you to love me, and I was the first one to put my affection on you. Will you come back and believe that? Will you return to that and believe that you don't need any other gods before me? And when you do that, the other loves in your life, these other things that you've used to replace me, you'll actually be able to love them more fully you'll actually be able to love them rightly. These desires that you have that, that, that are misplaced, the desires that are put on the wrong place, the Lord's saying, will you return to me and reorient and reorder your desire to the right place? Thou shalt have no other, don't have any other gods before me, have me as your God. Have me as the original lover of your soul. So the first commandment was given to bring us back to our first love, so that we can be deep and wide lovers of others. What about commandment number four? Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. How many of you, as we read through that, you're like, uh, I don't have any animals, but not sure I, uh, not sure I keep that one all too well. <laughs> What's the implied positive of that? What is the Lord inviting us to pick up there? That's something true about us in our original nature. Well, we could rephrase, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, to thou shalt rest. I actually want you to rest. I actually think there's something that's true about you 
that if you would just remember it and believe it, you would actually rest. God is saying that our original nature was not to run ourselves to exhaustion, trying to earn a worthy life, to try to earn his love. Our original nature, Adam and Eve were put in a garden, guys. They weren't put in a rat race. They weren't put in this race to see who can earn enough or be enough or or have enough things to be worthy of God's love. They were placed in a garden to rest and receive the love, love of God. And God's saying, you need to remember that about your original nature. Put away these other things and pick up my rest. So the law, number one, it reminds us of our created nature. It reminds us that we were created for God. We were created for relationship with him and relationship with each other. And this law is a guidebook to how to get back into that original nature. But secondly, another purpose of the law and another way that it shows us the heart of God and calls us into it is by revealing our need. So number two, the law reveals our need. Um, John Calvin uh, had three different kind of analogies for the law. And one of them was a mirror. And this is exactly what he's talking about here. The law is a, is a mirror. It reveals to us our need. It shows us our need. It's like when I look at the law, I can recognize how much I can't keep the law. Okay? So let's look at just one of the commandments. Kind of do a little deep dive into just one of the commandments that I think is, is uh, most helpful when we're using the law as a mirror. And that's the final commandment. Commandment number 10. Don't covet. How many of you have heard a sermon on coveting before? Doesn't get talked about too often. Martin Luther, when he, when he was studying the Ten Commandments, he said that he thinks that commandment 10 was given just in case you can make it through the other nine thinking you were still good, then this one would catch you. And, and I think the reason why when we, well, let's read it. Let's read it one more time. Verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And you're going, I don't covet anyone's ox or donkey. <laughs> this is an easy one. Done. Okay, think about, think about covet. What's special about this commandment uh, as opposed to the others, especially the others right before it, is it has nothing to do with your hands. There's no coveting that happens outwardly. Coveting is a posture of the heart. And so this should remind us of Matthew 5, when we were studying several months ago uh, the the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, there's a really famous and kind of like grating part of Jesus' sermon in Matthew 5 where he says, oh, you you think you haven't murdered? Well, what about when you've been angry towards your brother? Or, oh, you think you haven't committed adultery? Or what about when you've looked at someone lustfully? It's kind of the same thing with coveting. This is the thing that happens inside of you that's going to get birthed out in all kinds of different actions. In fact, I've also heard it said that you cannot break any of the first nine commandments without first coveting. And I would also say if you give yourself over to coveting, you're going to be breaking many of the other nine as well. Because coveting is a posture of the heart that says what I have is not enough. And what you have is what I need. And so it doesn't just look at an object and say I need it. It looks at the person who has the object and it begins to hate that person. I begin to, to, to look at people in a certain way and judge people a certain way to make me feel better about the fact I don't have the thing that I think I need. And it happens all the time. 
I haven't uh, done this myself, so I'm going to only ask you to do this, saying that I'm going to do it too this week. But I would love to, to spend a week or spend a day really in tune with the covetous nature of my heart. I would love to go through my day and walk around and meet with people and see things and recognize all the times that I go, I want that. I need that. And so what the Ten Commandments do, especially maybe if we look at this topic of coveting, is they reveal the deep, deep need that we have for Jesus because we know we can't keep them. When I look and I read through and I say, well, I'm not, I haven't murdered, I haven't committed adultery, and then I get to something like coveting, I recognize the law is not about the employee manual for how to be perfect. It is in the sense of it's showing you exactly what it takes to be perfect, but it is supposed to drive you to your need for a Savior. And that's the final thing. The third thing that the law does, it, it, it reveals to us our original created nature, how God made us to be in our hearts. It shows us our deep need because it's a mirror showing us that we can't keep it. And then finally, the law guides us. It's a guide to the one who rescues and redeems. Some of you might be thinking, well, this whole talk about the law is a mirror and, and I can't keep it, isn't that just the same kind of shame type way of living that we said we don't want to have toward the law? Well, that, this is the difference. If you live in shame because you can't keep the law, then that's all oriented on yourself. All you're doing is thinking about yourself. But what the law does, it doesn't just show us ourselves as a mirror and keep us focused on ourselves. It's supposed to take us to the only one who can redeem us, the only one who can rescue us from that. And so the law is a guide if it was just a rule book, if it was just the employee handbook, then it would leave you alone. But it's also a guidebook into the heart of God to reveal to you his son, Jesus. And so when we look at the person of Jesus, what we know and what we see when we read through the gospels is that he kept every single one of these 10 commandments perfectly. Okay, we know that. He, he, kept, he also kept all of the other 600 commandments perfectly. He, in that way, is an incarnation of the law of God. Jesus came to earth, he lived under all of these laws and kept all of them perfectly so that we can recognize he is the law of God for us. He came and kept it for us perfectly so that we are not those who are underneath his law. We are not, under, we are not those who are underneath his law when we fail. Because it's certainly true that without Jesus, the law is everything you and I are afraid that it is. Because it is a statement of what holiness looks like. And Adam and Eve, when they, when they fell from grace, when they sinned in the Garden of Eden, they had every right to run and hide and be afraid. Because without Jesus, without the one who kept the law perfectly, we're left with a burden that we can't bear. And so Jesus came, and he is the one who put relationship into the law. When Dave talked about last week that, we, that there, are no, there is no relationship without rules. Jesus is saying, I've come, I have borne all the weight of that law so that I can then have a relationship with you. And now I can draw you into how best you're supposed to live according to this law. So Jesus is the law incarnate. He's the one who perfectly kept the law. And so he freed us from having to keep it perfectly, but he also unlocked it for us so that we can pursue it. He was the law that we could not be so that we can have his heart, that we can have his love, that we can be his beloved. And so when you are saved, when you, when you um, come under a relationship with Jesus, we believe that the Holy Spirit 
comes in and it says the Holy Spirit, it convicts us, it shows us our need, it does all these things the law does because it's bringing us Jesus. It's putting Jesus inside of us, it's putting his perfection inside of us and it's freeing us to then be people who can pursue this heart of God. Who can be people who who ask, Lord, what does it look like for me to love you? What does it look like for me to live the way you want me to live? And so it takes all these Ten Commandments and and the law through Jesus inside of us. It gives us a more singular love for God. Commandment one. It gives us less love for all these idolatrous images that we create for him. Commandment two. It gives us more respect for his name. Commandment three. It gives us more rest and acceptance of our limitations. Commandment four. It gives us more respect for the authorities that God puts in our lives. Commandment five. It gives us more respect for human life, human dignity, human value. Commandment six. It gives us more singular commitment to the people God has put in our lives more singular commitment to our husband, to our wife. Commandment seven. It gives us more respect for the material things of the world, especially those that aren't ours. It gives us more respect for the things of others. Commandment eight. It gives us more respect for the truth. Commandment nine. And then for for our covetous hearts, it gives us more contentment. Commandment 10. So my prayer uh, for us this week um, is that we can be people just like Dave read, uh, like David in Psalm 19, that says, um, I care about God's law. I want to know these Ten Commandments. I want to know what it looks like practically for me to live, live these out. But I do that knowing that this is the way I get into the heart of God and feel his love for me and experience his love for me. And it's also the way that I can love other people and be a better lover just like Jesus was. Let me pray. Um, Lord, thanks for your word. Um, I confess confess that my heart um, oftentimes runs from you and runs from these things because I so easily make these things um, the the, the barometer um, for how much you love me. And so I pray that um, we don't put law in front of grace, that we don't put the, the um, Ten Commandments before the I Am, the Lord your God. Uh, help us order those things rightly. Help us put grace. Help us put uh, the I Am, the Lord your God, uh, before the law. And then would we be people that run willingly to the law, that we say the law is my joy, the law is my delight. I want to know, Lord. I want to know what it looks like to love you. I want to know what it looks like to live like you. Uh, and then we can be people that um, are are great lovers, just like Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen.